Welcome back to another Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. My name is Creek, and I'm with my unprecedented co-host, and we have a guest, another guest with us uh, this week we're super excited about. But Mario, can you, can you introduce our guest and uh, your, your relationship with this guest? Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, our, our guest is our, our dear friend, Viba. And Viba, I'm not going to, I'll butcher your last name. So I'm going to ask <laughs> you to share your last name because she does it with such rapturous so, Frenchness. So, yes. Yeah, mm. So my married name is Goslin and my Indian uh, surname is Uchgavkar. So try that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. So, so when you when you go to Starbucks, um, you know, and, and you give your name, and they call your name, do you get like six people saying that's mine, and you're you're confused about? Yeah. I I've I've end up pronouncing my own name in France without the H. So you know, I just say you know Viba, and it it's written V I B A, and they miss right. out the H. Gotcha. <laughs> Well, you you know, it's it's funny because our our friend Tamar, who you know well also, when he lived in the States for a while and he would go to Starbucks and they would ask his name for his drink and he would, he got tired of saying Tamar and them saying what? And so he just started saying Tim. And um, so now I kind of have this joke because for whatever reason, I go to a Starbucks and they ask me my name and I say Mario and they say, huh? Yeah, you know, and it's like, come on, are you kidding me? Uh, So now I say Tim, wherever I go. And, you know, and, and... you know, and of course, sometimes I forget that I said Tim, and I'm yeah. standing there, you know, looking around, and you know. this Tim guy. Yeah, Jeez. right. Hey. Order something. And why won't he get his damn coffee yeah. so I can get mine? Right. So you should give yeah. them your real name, Mario. Uh, yeah, right. Have we yeah, talked that, about that. your real name on the podcast? I, I, I don't know if we have. It's. Uh, um, it's the same as Viva's, ironically, but uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, my, no, my my real name is Mariano. Well, Mariano. Mm-hmm. Did you know yes. that trick? I did. I did. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember how I knew that, but I did yeah. know that. So, um, so, so when you go into the post office and you see the posters on the wall, you know the wanted yeah, posters. Right. That's, that's what it says. That's so. what it is. Um, <laughs> Anyway, back anyway. to Viva. Back to Viva. So, no, so uh, you know, Viva again is a dear friend. I forget. Well, I, I remember where we first met Viva, but I'm not quite sure when it was. Uh, so it was in France, uh, in Paris, and um, Maria Jose. I think we were doing a talk or something. Was it? Uh, Maria uh, was Jose it? was president of the IEA then. Okay. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she, so she, so 2013. 2013. 2013. You were my so, photographer, Mario. <laughs> yeah, well, I know, I know you love to tell that story. So. Right. No, no, no. Oh. But, so, so Viba, uh, Viba, why don't you tell the story of, of our first encounter, if you don't mind? First encounter was uh, very triggering for me because Mario was, <laughs> was, was talking about... <laughs> <laughs> this seems to be a common experience with most people. Yes, <laughs> I was talking about, you know, um, uh, spirituality and science and the Enneagram. I, I basically don't remember much of what he said, but I just felt myself getting hotter and hotter and hotter. <laughs> and and also because I, I my mind just couldn't come up with any argument to counter whatever he was saying. <laughs> and so so I just walked up to him and said, um, 
I I don't remember what I said, Mario, but I oh, said... Oh, I remember, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. You yeah. go ahead then. <laughs> well, you, you came up to me and you said, you know, I really wanted to not like you, but <laughs> I can't. And... Um, <laughs> And I and I thought, you know, and then you explained why some of this and I, you know, and I immediately said, well, I like this person because she was speaking her mind and she was also acknowledging that she was thinking and reflecting mm. and open minded and uh, and and that I will embrace in anybody. Right. So um, and so we, you know, struck up a, you know, a conversation and uh, Veeb is just one of the sweetest people in the world. And she's exceptionally bright and exceptionally insightful. And, uh, um, you know, we, we <laughs> deeply enjoy our company. Yeah, well, absolutely. I'm here yeah. just for those few <laughs> that's it. seconds of the podcast. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's right. OK, got to go now. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. And, and yeah, so anyway, so Viva's been a dear friend ever since. Yeah. Mm. And you know what I like about Viva? What's mm. that? Is that she will not even try to let the world know that she's so bright and insightful. Yeah. You just need to look carefully and you'll see it. And I really like that because mm. it's when um, you talk to her, you can learn a lot, but she's not worried about showing off at all so impresses viva say something smart Go yeah. ahead. Oh, yeah. that, that's kind of you know like i can't come back with anything anything like after that maria jose it's, yeah thank you yeah. Yeah. so um as our audience knows we we are in a series where we're talking a little bit about spirituality talking about the Enneagram, how those two intermix, talking about like clear thinking, critical thinking, um, and how those can be in tension with each other sometimes and, and how to kind of work with both of those tools. So I guess, Marie Jose, why, why, why have we, other than Viva is brilliant and sweet <laughs> and all the nice words, why did you all think that uh, she would be a good fit for this podcast? Because we are, um, in the last few episodes, we've, we've been talking about spirituality. And I think that what she has to offer is um, a really um, kind of grounded knowledge about spirituality. Yeah, a very particular one with a background in Indian philosophy. And I think that it's good to, to just have this conversation about all these topics that you mentioned with someone who really knows what she's saying, you know, <laughs> and uh, that we respect as well and uh, unlike. So we just think that it will be a fun conversation to have and interesting for those who are listening. Well, one of our ongoing criticisms of some of what we see in the Enneagram world is that people read a few books on Sufism or read a few books on, you know, whatever, and immediately become gurus in some sense. And here's somebody who actually knows what she's talking about, but also has no interest in being a guru, um, um, but just doing good work. So, yeah. Viva, can you give us a quick background? Like what, what is... Um what's been your training what's been your life experience when it when it comes to spirituality your own journey even with the enneagram 
it's interesting. I think for the first time, I'm hearing this question and wanting to start actually uh, with my family. I usually start with the, you know, when I was seven and my dad just <laughs> took me to the ashram and left me there. But my family has been, you know, practicing a certain tradition in the Indian path. Uh, in India, we there is a distinction between religion and spirituality. So, uh, um, so spiritual paths always have a guru, and guru is a very uh, a very noble word uh, in India, uh, because a guru is someone who has walked a certain path. And in that person's presence, he can kind of share the experience he or she has lived. And um, so for since my uh, great-grandfather until my father, they were like following uh, the same tradition of a professor called uh, Ranade in Maharashtra, that's a state in India. Ever since I can remember, uh, we we are a family of, you know, um, agricultural background and so a farm and space. Uh, there would be gatherings, like retreats, you know, we call them retreats here. <laughs> In India, it's, a, it's like a, it would be called a satsang. Satsang uh, is being in good company, reading, practicing, cooking, living together for a week. Uh, on the farm and all kinds of teachers walk through our house and so i think i think it starts it starts there and 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 just is just absorbing my parents living their lives the way they did uh, with uh, so much dignity and being in you know terrible hardships as well and and going through that how would I put it, with a certain certain knowing all that all will be well. That's so, so I, I guess it starts there for me. And then, of course, and then, of course, I ended up at the age of seven in, in the Shirobindo Ashram in Pondicherry, which is a very, um, which is an exceptional place which puts uh, into practice in life the path that Sri Aurobindo and his spiritual uh, companion mother, who was, she was French, their experiences put into practice and to see what was possible for human beings. And so there's a school for children there from kindergarten to age 20, so I was there from seven to age 20 and I didn't choose to actually. So in, in like in Asterix and Obelix, you know, Obelix says that he just fell into that part. So I, I just fell into a part which, which, um, which has impacted me in such a way that I can never forget, actually, never ignore. I, I just this past year watched... Asterix and Obelix. 
uh, with a friend in England, and it was it was remarkable. <laughs> I missed that reference. Is that, that wow? Is, really? They have yes, a movie so reference. Someone please wow. enlighten wow. him. Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! You call yourself cultured. Wow! <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, I've got some homework to do. Yeah. Me, right? <laughs> you do. Right. Okay, all right. Um, I, I'm struck, just going back to the word guru, I, I'm struck with how Western culture has taken that word and made it into something bad, honestly, where it's a narcissistic, controlling individual who is is only two inches deep. In, in their knowledge and practice. But what you're describing is, is someone who has lived the tradition and done deep work and has a depth to them and respect. And and not not respect out of fear or being really extroverted and uh, painting big pictures, but because of their wisdom and their and their depth. Can you can you speak to that a little bit more of what, what guru means uh, for you? In, in your tradition it is well summarized in in a in a chant most indians know and learn so i'll just try to translate that mm. it says guru brahma guru vishnu guru devo maheshwara so guru is brahma vishnu and maheshwara our trinity and so, but, but the guru also as a human aspect, you know, he's my, my parent, my, my brother, my friend, my lover, all of that. And, um, and so there is this, there is this relationship, which is both personal and human and someone who, who opens doors to our inner knowing I'll tell you a story. <laughs> that, so no, so my brother uh, left the Ranade path because he happened to, you know, meet his guru. So he left doesn't mean well. We still have uh, traditionally the chanting and the, and all of that in the in the family, but then once you find someone who 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 recognizes you as a student. You kind of, it's like mutual, uh, uh, well, let's say two people fall in love. It's something like that for the seeker and the teacher when they meet. And so the first time I met his guru, he said, he said, well, do you want to come meet him? I said, well, respectfully, yes. And as I was, you know, sitting beside him, there just was a, you know, like a kind of stillness that, that, that's a very physical sensation I can still remember. And there were all sorts of people moving around, asking all sorts of questions, you know, some, and gradually, uh, so he was a married man living in, leading a family life. And we have many different kinds of names for, for our gurus, you know, some who have left the family way, some who are in the family way, and I won't go into all those details. And so as people 
there were fewer and fewer of us. And um, so I was so struck. I said, well, what, when we meet a guru, we say we ask for a personal mantra or something, you know. Um, um, it can be a word. It can be a connection to one of our divinities or it can be a phrase that we can take with us for the next step of our journey. I said, so I was, I eagerly asked him, can you give me a mantra? And he just said, well, you just continue doing what you're doing. And it took me a year to figure out, you know, what it was. And, and, um, and, and then he just casually, you know, said, you know, I'm sitting here with the knowledge of the stars and the universe. And some people come and ask me, I lost my wallet at the bank. Can you help me find it? <laughs> or, or I want my, or I want my, I want to get my, uh, my son married in the next year. You know, will you help me with that? And so he said, well, I, I just respond to whatever people ask of me. And just to, just to give you, you know, an idea of a, of a real lived experience of what, of how you can't put the definition of a guru into in a box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and and as in as in every, you know, India is no exception. There are all kinds of people who call themselves gurus in India too. Uh, who call themselves or others call them whatever. And um, and there's a whole commercial aspect and the extravagant aspect to all of that too. So it's no different there than no. everywhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that one of the things that we tend to struggle with and we've shared this several times is to define spirituality. And so what is it that we're talking about when we're talking about your tradition? How would you explain it briefly uh, so that our listeners understand what is it that you're trained in, that you live, that you experience, yes. practice? As a kid in the ashram school, I remember two of the quotations on the on the board. We, we used to have this notice board and there would be quotations. And, and the ones that stayed with me very were very simple, you know, be happy and the other one be conscious in in our school it's an like a, it's an alternative education which is not elitist i really would like to say that in the sense that it's not for the rich people it's a it's a place where parents send their kids knowing that age 20 they'll be stepping out of that uh, institution without a certificate or a graduation recognition paper because we had no tests and no exams and we were 12 in a class. And the, the whole purpose of, the, of integral education was to train uh, what we call in Shorbindo's language the, our instruments, mind, life, and body. And life, life in the sense, uh, the other word used in integral yoga is the vital being. Vital being is emotions, instincts. And so, so we had like sports every day, um, learning English and French at the same time, music, dance, Western, 
uh, and in the Indian tradition. And a lot of, there was a lot of uh, importance given to freedom and the child's choice to, to, to discover, to discover his, her path and nature as well. Because I love this concept, which connected me to the um, awareness to action approach so quickly, was this swabhava, we say, which is a Sanskrit term. And Sanskrit is one of those, you know, like ancient languages where words have a lot of meaning. And so you say a word and it's like you get a whole experience out of it. So, so swabhava, swa is the self. And bhava, bhava, bhava can be a way of being, a feeling tone. It can mean a lot of things. Like all artists are supposed to be able to convey bhava, you know, whether if it is an emotion or a deeper experience or anything like that. So swabhava is that our, we have a way of being and a way of resonating and which is which is which is both you know animal and divine <laughs> i would say which is a blend of both and discovering that in oneself leads us to uncover the law of our being which is the swadharma dharma is the law and the law uh, it, um, dharma comes from the root dri, dri is to hold, you know, and that law is that which holds us together. And why I, why I connect it to uh, the ATA, so please interrupt me, I'm no, this rambling kind of person, no, 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 right, you know, <laughs> so is that, is that, you know, is the first time I was, you know, hearing um, in the first module when we were in that fancy place in Paris, you know, oh, right, <laughs> said right. that, you know, the the strategy of the, you know, the nine strategies. And so mine will always be striving or striving to feel peaceful. And, and that, that I cannot like ignore or uh, undo. And there is, there is a human way of seeking that and there is another deeper way of also seeking that. And, and how can I get to the deeper way is through making the human way larger and larger and larger. So my, my definition today of 20 years ago of what, what peaceful meant to me was, you know, not contradicting or I'm, I'm kind of, making a you know, caricature of it. But um, my dad was an eight and he encouraged us to speak our mind. And so, <laughs> so it, <laughs> I didn't recognize myself as a type nine. I typed myself <laughs> through whole my certification process. I lived in another type and, and Helen Palmer shook me out of my illusion, you know, and said, you're a nine, <laughs> my dear friend. <laughs> and so, um, so, um, so the school coming back to our education was that giving that freedom and the structure, you know, freedom doesn't mean we got to do anything we wanted to until the age of 14, we had a timetable and we did multiple things and, and experimented and explored. And there was a lot of discipline 
And after the age of 14, we could choose to go to a section called the free section where we got to even design our own timetable. And teachers were there (laughs) at our disposal. And so all the teachers in the community were practicing like sadhaks. Sadhaks are our seekers who are on a path, which is the sadhana, which is there, you know, and they were all there practicing mothers and Shrobindo's path. Doesn't mean, you know, they were perfect beings or anything like that, but their, their human work in the school was teaching and it could also be gardening or it could be, you know, washing dishes in the dining, in the community dining hall. So everyone had a work in the community. And it's through that work that this inner attitude and poise and and whatever, integral yoga is such a huge thing. Uh, So walking on the path of the integral yoga of whatever was accessible to each one individually, wherever he or she was on that path, through the field of work. So that's the school I went to. Yeah. Vibam, I'm um, curious with what you said about the um, kind of the human nature and divine nature uh, or the animal nature and the divine nature of something and recognizing that there is this law for you, this human law, as you described it, that for you, it's this striving to feel peaceful. A couple of things that that says to me, um, you know, one of our pet peeves about a lot of talk in the Enneagram world and other areas is this idea of rejection of this thing, right? Rejection of an ego, rejection of our type, whatever it is. Um, But you're talking about leaning into it in a sense, right? As you said, make it larger. From your view, can you say more about what the divine version of striving to feel peaceful looks like? With my words today, I would say it'll probably be in some (laughs) other lives to come. But when I will, when my ego will dissolve by itself, not by just wishing it away, That'll be the that'll be the peace and and we speak about like uh, how to put it in the on the um, spiritual path in the West there is a huge from my perspective bias around sin and disobedience of God's commandments and all of that and for us is that human being is in sorrow and in bondage and. N- it's not that human being is sinful, but why? Because uh, because of the desires, egoistic needs, and ignorance, and illusion, and all of that. It's the just the human condition which makes him suffer. And so, and so in the Indian tradition, we have these six six doshas, or you know, six impediments. And so, is it's that inner inner war with these six impediments. That is the that is let's say the path of um, I don't like to use the word because it's so in English it is so um, it has so many connotations purification let's say <laughs> or let's say just clearing of the consciousness 
you know? Because so it's kind we, of a clarification. Clarification, yes. And so 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 peace for me is, you know, walking walking that path of of this of this whatever, you know, this inner struggle brings up with these impediments and keeps me keeps me small, I'd say. What's interesting is like when you when you said the 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 laws that hold us together i caught i caught my brain going towards in some my upbringing of like laws being sets of moral guidelines or aspirations to be perfect in some way but it, correct me if i'm wrong but it seems like what you're pointing to is is laws are just the way things are like the way yes. things are structured and built and to interact with those rather than to somehow aspire to be perfection yes I, yeah okay yes that's right because it's 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 it kind of uh flows out from the inside and not dictated from the outside that you follow in the in like in the natural natural world if we take animals following their just pure instincts or plants having their process of growth and the seasons are following following an intrinsic law that's built in the system itself and so it's something very similar with us too mm-hmm. yeah yeah so along those lines so what i'm hearing is there's a more kind of compassionate way to look at this animal aspect of human beings which is not always how we approach it, like in the Western traditions, because of the sin, or even in the Enneagram world where we have to get rid of the ego. And so how would be in your tradition the way in which the egoic aspects of us or the animal aspects are treated? Oh, that's such a vast question, Maria Jose. I mean, I think I'm using these terms because of the English language. So ego in in Sanskrit is ahamkara. And aham is I. And kara is doing the I, you know, the I, 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 I. Okay? So if we take from, from a behavioral point of view, we grow up in a in a culture where we from a young age are invited to take consideration of the others in our space for example i'm, I'm talking about the the behavioral aspect if you and if you see also the the construction this has always struck me the construction of the sanskrit language the grammar in the languages here we start with i first person I, you, he, and etc. And so in Sanskrit, we start with the third person. The third person comes first, and we have three, um, three versions of it, is singular, two, you know, two, two, and the multiple. So we have three mm-hmm. versions of, and then we go to the second person, you, one person, you dual and you multiple and the last is the i singular 
And so when I think of it, it's just in the construction of whole the language and the psyche, there is something about, I am not the most important person in the world kind of uh, flavor to, to the culture. And I, once again, please, doesn't mean there's no ego in India. It's not that. <laughs> what, I, what I'm saying that in the outer forms, there is some deeper truth that has been kind of slipped into, into you know, uh, social organization, uh, the language itself. And when we are working, I mean, if it's a more conscious chosen like path of those who those who have uh, a guru or are are following uh, a tradition then then there are you know there then there are practices then there are practices to kind of opening up to the bigger than oneself uh, moments of of those and in in social behavior, the sharing with others and doing and living for also incorporating that, living for uh, having, you know, time and energy and living for something also more than just me. So I'd, I'd put it that way. I, I'm curious, Viva, as you talk about these um, two aspects or these two versions, it's... It, it's not a binary thing though, right? Yeah. It's not like it's, you know, one or the other, or yeah. we have to get rid of one so that the other can come through. It's, it's, a, it's a process almost, right? Yes. It seems to me. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, it is. It is the same actually. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Say more about that. Yeah, because so mm, this will sound very like, take it as a science fiction. <laughs> You rational <laughs> people. <laughs> so, so the Indian Indian vision of of the universe is uh, there is nothing but that, just one, yeah. one existence, one being, mm, nothing that but that oneness, and beyond form that is unknowable, you know, un, unexperienceable, unless, you know, by becoming that. I'm, I'm just trying to put into words in some way. And for, you know, in a, putting it in a poetic way, now that unknowable, because also eternal and all-powerful and all-existent, has that possibility said well what would it be like to be the absolute opposite of me and mm. so and so so it starts from there and that is what is involved in matter and all evolution is a is a, is an unfolding of of that which is already involved growing into higher is the only word that comes to me but it's not the uh, um, forms it's not forms. it's not better than necessarily yes, it's just forms yeah. it's just um expanding um, and um, with more and more possibilities of 
uh, expression in manifestation and 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 form and complexity and all of that. And, and when you talk about that, um, I, I think of um, uh, Sri Nisargadatta's book, uh, I Am That, yes. uh, which is a book I've been wrestling with for 20 years, right? I, I take it out and I start reading it and I, you know, it kind of stretches my brain and then I feel like I, I think I got it and then I don't have it anymore. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and it, 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 it makes me think about how important language is as we're talking about these things, right? Because I think that so much of what you're saying is so informed by language yes. and, you know, us from the, the West, not having that same language makes mm -hmm. the concepts really, really challenging. Yes. And so it's almost in a sense, it's, it's partially the language and it's also the felt sense of things that you're talking about. I, I think that's part of it, that the, the language, the Sanskrit language seems to be more focused on the experience of the thing than the object yes. necessarily. Is that fair? Yes, yes, mm. absolutely. Because our um, like Indian thought, the word for that is darshana, and darshana means a seeing. So above all, it is first an experience. Doesn't mean that it wasn't, I mean, the seeking of truth and putting it into uh, forms accessible to the mind wasn't uh, a quest uh, in India, but they went together. So our seers, and it, sometimes it's also called uh, shruti, which means uh, received knowledge, received through preparation and experience and the clearing of uh, and so they were, they were, um, they were yogis, and when the two didn't go together, those paths disappeared. So there is, there is, there is a lot of this subjective experience of the journey. The confusion with religion is that when one person walking on a certain path through his or her experience makes a dogma out of that and says, this is the only way, that's when we are no longer in something that is alive and contextual and on the spiritual path. I mean, at least the, the, the gurus I have read or heard about or people who have been directly with them have spoken is they've always, you know, kind of like a big warning signal around what I have said to one person, don't apply it blindly to another person. Hmm. Because, because it is something, it is really the time, the place, the person, the context, all that matters. Yeah, that, that's, that's fascinating. And uh, that, that, to me, you know, really opens up a lot of, I don't know, area for exploration and um, uh, examination. And I, which is beyond the scope of what we have here for today. I mean, this yeah. is something we could discuss for years, right? So, um, but it, if, I, I guess, well, I'll tell you what, where I'd, I'd like to go here is, you know, so how did the Enneagram come into this for you, right? I mean, at what point did you become interested in the Enneagram? How, and how do you weave it in with your broader 
vision and perspective on things? I kind of, you know, with my <laughs> with my uh, magical thinking part of me, <laughs> like to say that the first time I mentioned Sri Aurobindo's name in my English class, I was an English teacher. And the first time it was the... I'd, it, I'd been 10 years in France and I never spoke about um, about about him or um, my experience in the ashram. And this particular time I did so because someone challenged and said, oh yes, your hero must be Gandhi. And that triggered me. I said, why do you suppose, you know, everybody in India adores Gandhi, you know? <laughs> and so, so I said, no. And I said, no, my hero is Sri Aurobindo. Have you ever heard of him? And, and so, and one person in the class knew about him. He said, I have been to Pondicherry and I was always wondering, you know, what you were doing teaching English. You must, because your classes are very different and you must meet my husband who is a coach. You should be coaching. And I'd never heard about that, what coaching was. And then that's how, and so his, so her husband had an invitation to an introductory Enneagram class and he said, why don't you go start here? I said, okay. No, I didn't mm. ask too many questions. And I just, I, I, I was, yeah, I was, I think I was in going through some really identical identity crisis in France and what am I doing here? And that, that uh, um, uh, critical juncture and a lot of conflict at work. I said, okay, let me go. And then I saw the symbol. The first thing I saw was a symbol on the chart. And it just reminded me of home because we draw, <laughs> we draw these figures in front of our homes in the morning. Mm. That's part of our morning ritual and all kinds of symbols. And so it was, uh, it was one of those encounters of the mm. <laughs> whatever kind <laughs> and reconciled, reconciled a lot inside of me. I guess it helped me, you know, kind of find a language to define myself in a culture which wasn't mine, which I was living in. And also, you know, I, um, yeah, it became like a kind of bridge for me. It allowed me to continue living my, my inner path and um, not wanting to force that onto people here and finding, yes, finding a, finding some common language. That's the best way I, I would put, put it. It has some beautiful universal truths in it, you know, that we all fall asleep and make up our stories and then we, and then we, and then we can, you know, learn to see ourselves more clearly. And that's. In the Enneagram community, I mean, the, the term of like doing the work gets thrown around a lot. And I've had questions asked of me of it's like, what's people asking, what's the difference between doing Enneagram work and then doing spiritual work? Or what's, what's the difference for you? Or is there a difference for you between spiritual work, Enneagram work, or um, psychological work or something like that? I think it's like, you know, once you have a filter in your mind, whatever you do goes through that filter. So, so for me, well, having consciously chosen or not 
I can't escape from from feeling that um it's not a feeling it's just you know that there is that there is uh, there is something I don't like to say I've chosen a spiritual path because there is also this distinction in in India between living and being in the ordinary life and in the spiritual life and but my filter is a spiritual filter so to me whether i'm doing the enneagram or whether i'm cooking or right now talking to you all it it feels part of that same journey to me it's how 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 i am inside while i'm doing whatever i'm doing i've used this reference in other episodes i think but i um what you said there makes me think of the khalil gibran book the prophet right there was popular back in the new age era and uh, the, the the prophet goes to the village and they ask questions of him right where did i leave my wallet you know that sort of thing right but um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but you know one of the questions was you know speak to us of religion and his response was have we spoke this day of aught else right it's just that's all of life is one in this sense right yes With, and yeah so, so it's just the principles you bring to living that life that are what separate a spiritual life uh, from a non-spiritual life, whatever that would be. I, I guess uh, is that fair? You know what I mean? There's some. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I think it's the inner focus we have. So, for me, in the enneagram work, so Creek, when you said when you're when people ask you the difference about you know when you're on a spiritual, when you are doing some spiritual work and when you're doing the Enneagram group work, what difference is there? So what what's behind that question when people ask you that? I think, at least from my tradition, it's often people think working on themselves has nothing to do with working on their relationship with the divine. Not yelling at their partner has nothing to do with communing with the divine in some way mm -hmm. so they see cultivating a spiritual experience or spiritual practice different than cultivating skills and in, in compassion or just enneagram work in general of that sort of thing so mm -hmm. personally i don't really see a difference i think it yeah. but i'm just curious of how you're languaging things in your tradition and yes so yeah. um so for this I'll 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 pull out my Helen Palmer card. <laughs> okay. She's 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 my 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 very first and close to heart dear teacher who who combined both, you know, so beautifully. And one of the sentences she said really struck with me. She said, "What comes between you and God is the very same thing that comes between you and your relationships and you and your work mm. in the world." Yeah. So so the so the you know the obstacles that are in us are absolutely the same thing. It's it's what am I seeking? Am I seeking God? Am I seeking the divine? And then the enneagram becomes a map to help you on that path. Or what or am I seeking to be a good father? Am I seeking to be a good boss? Am I seeking to be a good neighbor? What is it am I seeking? And the Enneagram can be a map to help us get to wherever we want to be. Yeah. 
I, I, I wanted to touch on the, the science and spirituality thing, and I'll, I'll make this brief um, because, again, that was our first interaction way back. And I, I think what I enjoy so much about talking with Viba is that we share a similar perspective, even though it might be hard to see, you know, I mean, you know, you see Viva and I standing together, having a conversation, you're thinking, yeah, those two got not, you know, yeah. uh, you know, so, uh, uh, but it's, it's knowing boundaries. And so for me, the whole distinction between science and spirituality and, you know, subjective and objective is not, it's, it's not a qualitative difference. It's this is for this and that's for that. And one can't describe the other and vice versa. It's you, you use the language for what you're trying to solve in a sense. And, and this is one of the things that fascinates me about the Indian traditions is that it, it really is. I mean, you know, I've modestly studied, you know, various traditions and it's like what the Indian culture has been doing is just, you know, it's it's just so much more sophisticated and advanced, I think, than most other traditions and much more nuanced. So understanding language in this way is foundational and understanding the, the boundaries of language is also important. And so when we switch back and forth and are we talking about science here? Are we talking about objectivity? Are we talking about something else? Let's be aware of what we're talking about and then use the language that works for capturing that experience. I really do love the way you work with people. It's um, so unassuming. And I remember so clearly, Mario, in that first module that we did in Paris, there was one participant uh, who wanted to go down the path of, you know, trauma and how do how can we apply that to, you know, people who have been traumatized? And you just said, I don't do trauma. <laughs> or, or, I mean, something to that way, you know, is that there is, there is, uh, I mean, we, that was, uh, that it was, a, it, it was a very short response. There is a clarity in the approach where, in the the method that is offered, there is a clarity around where it comes from, how it has been built, and how it can be applied in the one of the favorite words in the inactionable <laughs> uh, yeah. ways to improve our lives. And so there is there is just this very very clear i you know the word that comes to me is honest way these are the things we do and these are the things we don't do and this is why we have chosen this language and why not so there is there so that that is really one that is very important for me i don't know how to put it but there is it removes um all the fuzziness around we don't know where this comes from and what is the exact path to how did it it started there and then it became this and very often we don't have an evolutionary track to how it how it has become what it has become right mm -hmm. and that 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 can create so much confusion mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. That, that's wonderful feedback. And uh, the makes me think back to what you said of the guru saying about people asking them questions about things that are just not the person you should be asking those questions to, right? And I always try to... Uh, you think you know, you're a guru, Mario? That's how. That's, I knew I could not get through this without being you know, something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, only, only, in, only in Creek's earlier definition of the guru, who's you know a couple of inches deep, and you know, but um, but I, 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 but I, I think that that sort of humility is something we should aspire to. Of and it's yes. the it's the honest and professional approach to things, right? Um, you know, uh, why, you know, why do I have to have an opinion on everything, right? Why do I have to think I have something to contribute on everything? Um, because we don't, so. Hmm. Final question, and probably the most important one, is what's the best thing you've eaten in the last month? Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, that's... Uh... <laughs> I mean, you're living in France right now, correct? I am. Yeah. I am. I was, what's the best thing I've eaten that I haven't cooked myself? No, no. Even whatever you've cooked yourself, even. Like, what's... what's... Creek, Creek is, a, is, a, uh, is a gourmet. So yeah. yeah. So I'll so say my, my favorite comfort food is rice and dal. Mm. Dal is lentils, you know, and you can add any vegetables to it yes that's that's an acceptable answer all right i'll, I'll yeah. take it yes yeah. <laughs> well viva thank you so much for joining us thank and, you uh, thank you yeah, for having me yeah. it's a pleasure so we've got a deep affection for viva and now everybody can understand why i'm sure yes you know i'm feeling like we have so much to talk about still and mm-hmm. we should do a, a follow-up episode at some point maybe for yeah. something more specific yeah mm-hmm. that'd be great yeah viva do you have places where people can connect with you if they if they have more questions um no that's fine <laughs> <laughs> okay. no in the sense i don't have a website <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I i i work for the enneagram prison project so they can find me through the enneagram prison project uh, website okay all right and yeah, yeah. that works <laughs> That works. Awesome. Well, thank so you. you're not here to sell your wares. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I guess I still yeah. haven't figured out what I can, can sell. Yeah. <laughs> and so often, you know, I open some of my books and go to books and I read a chapter and I say, hey, I can make a whole training out of this, you know, and yeah so yes oh thank you thanks for listening to the awareness to action enneagram podcast if you're interested in more information or talking to mario mj or myself feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awareness to action.com all episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awareness to action.com slash podcast